Welcome to more to come. PW Comic World's weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing. Recorded at the PW offices in New York City. I'm Calvin Reed, senior news editor of Publishers Weekly. Editor of PW Comics World and editor of the Fanatic uh, PW's new comics and pop culture uh, newsletter. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. And I'm Heidi McDonald. I'm the editor-in-chief of The Beat at comicsbeat.com. And you can find us on Twitter at, at PW Comics World. And I'm Kate Fitzsimmons. I'm the podcast producer. And you can find us online on Tumblr at pwcomicsworld.tumblr.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to more to come on iTunes and on Facebook. We're at facebook.com slash PW Comics World. And also, don't forget to let us know how we're doing. Leave us a note. Give us a rating. Go on iTunes and give us five stars or one star if that's how you feel. But if that's how you feel, why are you listening? (laughs) Come on, people. Talk to us. We love to hear you say something. And we always love feedback. Uh, Let us know what you'd like to hear us talk about uh, and anything else. That you care to let us know. All right. Yeah, if there's any topics that interest you. Yeah. Maybe, maybe we're not, you know, doing enough mini comics about cats. I don't know. <laughs> How is that possible? Yeah, right. Okay. All right. This week on More to Come, the Marvel Redcons history. Uh, um, the Spidey custody battle, uh, the D23 uh, get together, Hugo Awards, and uh, we'll tell you a little bit about uh, some stories about Chris Ware and, and his new book, Rusty Brown. So, Marvel Marvel's Redcon's done it history. again. Yes. Marvel has done it again. <laughs> yes. Uh, Marvel Redcon's history. So, what are we talking about here? Well, there's been a spate of stories, an absolute spate. All uh, in a row. All in a row. Suddenly, uh, a bunch of people are complaining about Marvel changing things. So, uh, the first to drop the dime was Art Spiegelman, yeah. who complained that uh, it wasn't actually Marvel, but it was Folio House. Well, it was a, it? it was a, uh, it was an effort by the, the Folio Society, which Folio you know Society. publishes archival editions mm-hmm. of, right. of books. Uh, they had teamed up with Marvel to do this giant look at the Marvel comics that really helped to launch the superhero genre in the 1930s. Uh, and um, I think, as I recall it, uh, Art's Essay, which would have been included, and there's essays by other people in this, uh, uh, hardcover, like $200 edition. Right. Uh, it also has, like, um, facsimile yeah, versions. Yeah, it's oversized. Here. It's like one of these yeah. artist editions. I mean, it's not an artist edition, but it's like it's a like an treasury artist. sized mm-hmm. edition. It's super big. Yes. yes. Like coffee table esque. Yeah. And it has facsimile and, in, and like, re, uh, preserved or recreated, uh, editions of, right. yeah. uh, but anyway, Submariner number so, one and yeah, other yeah, things yeah. like anyway, that. Anyway, they asked Mark uh, Spiegelman yes. to write the intro. To write an intro for it. And, uh, Cordy, uh, so he says that he sent it in and they loved it. And uh, then suddenly someone said, uh, oh, you know, we have to change this one line. And, you know, Art Spiegelman, who is best known for writing Mouse, the story of how his parents were interned in a concentrate, Nazi concentration camp during the Holocaust, uh, had put a line in about contemporary world and mentioned this is all he said was like, you know, the orange skull in America. So it's a bit of a metaphor. Yeah. Well, Even, he, he, he says, his essay here, was about the, the rise wait, 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 of fascism. Wait, wait, what is it? What did he say? I have the quote. It says, in today's all too real world, Captain America's most nefarious villain, the red skull is alive on screen and an orange skull haunts America. International fascism again looms large. How quickly we humans forget. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, he wasn't just calling Trump the orange skull. He was saying, you know, that, that he's fascist, but, I mean, that is 
is a reasonable uh, opinion for a person who is on the lookout for fascism to, you know, have or worry about. Um, and if you didn't want that essay from Art Spiegelman, then well, which the was rest about of the story. The- but uh, just to go back to the rest of the story, because there is a little bit more to it, mm. uh, which is that uh, they said, could they run it? taking it out or or actually they wanted to take they, a line out they wanted to take the line out and art uh objected to that so yeah. then he said can they run it with a disclaimer now i am told that that seemed like you know fairly reasonable i am told so you know when i first read the story i was like eh, maybe the fall of society decided that marvel you know marvel wouldn't like it so they decided yeah uh, however i understand that i was told it went to the highest levels at marvel and they said they couldn't run it without a disclaimer. So, um, you know, I like to, I, you know, I don't take these things at face value, but everything I've heard does indicate that this was a decision by Marvel and not the Folio Society. Yeah. And now, oh, yeah. dun, dun, dun. I'm, I'm sure that that's what it must be. And once again, the essay that Art wrote was about the rise of fascism and how many of the comics of were that about time were about attacking and attacking fascism. We live in a period now where this is, is happening again. And not just in this country, but around the world. world. And yes, our president, unfortunately, displays many of the same traits. Let's, you know what? Let's, if that's too strong a a comment for you, I'll say this: our president does not speak out strongly against these events. He certainly doesn't. He certainly does not. And that is incontrovertible. And you know, if you look at maybe not necessarily fascism itself, but shared traits. Let's put it that way. There are things that he does not do but has expressed verbally and on twitter that he would like to do which if they were done would be fascist right he does not do them because he is not allowed to do them by the constitution by the constitution (laughs) but i don't know i can understand why if you're worried about the rise of fascism a president expressing these beliefs when he may or may not be joking is alarming well yes yes. and but you know let's i I, you know i don't think we need to litigate donald trump's presidency too much here we just leave it there uh, because the fact of the matter that's a lot more germane to this discussion is the fact that uh isaac perlmutter who is the chairman of marvel is one of trump's best friends yeah and has been increasingly involved in trump's re-election campaign and is uh, raise one of his biggest camp, uh, yeah, you know, one of his biggest donors and also has been putting together fundraising efforts for Trump as has Perlmutter's wife, Laura. So, I mean, you know, you don't even have to, you know, draw a line. The line is no. a big yeah. flaming arrow on the runway pointing. They're friends. There's no plausible deniability. Yes, absolutely yeah. not. Uh, so, and so, but what's really interesting to me, having followed Ike Perlmutter for many, many years, for decades, in fact, um, you know, on the case as Heidi Javert, but, um, is that thus, this just happened. So, <laughs> so, you know, um, Spiegelman wrote about this to, in The Guardian, and then they ran his essay, which I thought was very well written. Art Spiegelman was a very good writer. Yes, I also Gosh, who knew? I, I know, mean, right? So, and, but, uh, you know, He's I did I did uh, speak to him briefly for my own story, and uh, it was actually very interesting talking to him because he was telling me how he really doesn't pay any attention to superhero comics and had read these for the first time. So it was kind of his own, or, you know, it really yeah. thought about yeah, it. Yeah, he hadn't really time. thought about it in that context no. before. So it was, you know, kind of his own fresh, yeah. uh, fresh recollections. But anyway, so, um, you know, people, unfortunately, in this horrifying time, 
uh, this kind of went under, you know, water under the bridge, although there was certainly quite a bit of talk about it. But then, just this week, something else happened. Yes. Um, basically, Marvel has decided that real history is just not good enough well, for Marvel Well, wait, anymore. I, you know what? I think that one, I was talking about Marvel 1000. Oh, yes, let's talk about yeah, that. Yeah, let's talk about that, because that's a lot more clear example. Um, so, all right, so this week, Marvel 1000 came out, which is their big... Uh, 80-year anniversary book, which is apparently one page. It has everybody in it, but, like, everybody did one page, basically. So, um, a, you know, a pretty uh, important book for Marvel. Uh, now, interestingly, uh, a preview was sent out to retailers a little while ago, and there was an essay page uh, written by Mark Wade with an illustration by John Cassidy. And when the book came out, the essay had been altered quite a bit to lessen yes. the impact of Wade uh, as Captain America talking about Captain America's fight against fascism. What is it? Uh, do you have the quote? Some uh, of the quotes? Uh, there? I was a, trying to find a, a quote here saying, got, mm. this isn't the land of opportunity for everyone and calling for people to take action to force those in power to listen. Horrible stuff. Oh, so un-American. So horrible. Unbelievably so un-American. un-American. I mean, it isn't even saying anything about any particular party. It's just being like, America doesn't have opportunity for everyone. We should make that happen. Yeah. Like, that's just, that's so out of so, character for Captain so America. It was, it was altered to read more like just generic rah-rah shit, to be honest. And um, so so this just broke this week. You know, nobody is particularly surprised by any of this, I hmm. guess. Yeah. yeah. Says, uh, Wade's comment is on it is the only comment I'll offer. Oh crap! Now my page is reloading. This all seems very odd. And yeah, uh, from, coming from the house that was, I mean, its appeal was always that it seemed to be able to weave its stories right into the fiber of what was happening in the world today. Yeah. Uh, so the only comment that I'll offer is the abridged version that's being circulated by news outlets severely mix, mischaracterizes what was actually written. Um. Oh, here we go. Well, you know what? I'm amazed that no one has shown the original page. It's very strange that retailers haven't. Um, Maybe they don't have it. Well, yeah, but... Uh, but there is a section from the original... Oh, this got covered in the New York Times. I didn't even see that. This system isn't just. We've treated some of our own abominably. Worse, we've perpetuated the myth that any American can become anything, can achieve anything through sheer force of will. That's not always true. This isn't the land of opportunity for everyone. The American ideals aren't always shared fairly. Yet without them, we have nothing. America's systems are flawed, but they are only mechanism with which to remedy inequality on a meaningful scale. Yes, it's hard and bloody work, but history has shown that we can, bit by bit, write that system when enough of us get angry, when enough of us take the streets and force those in power to listen, when enough of us call for revolution and say injustice will not stand. I mean, that's that's like... Standard, yeah, yeah. I mean, issue boilerplate. Captain America, typical. uh, But he said in the original, yeah. I'm asked how it is possible to love a country that's deeply flawed. Well, I mean, guess what? It is. I mean, how is this news to anyone? I mean, God. I mean, let's be honest. All countries are deeply flawed. Yes, they are made out of human beings, and like. This has never, this has always been part of Captain America to address this. So, so to be clear, what was, um, what was Marvel's response to both of these incidents was to say that they did, or the reason that they gave for taking out the reference in the Spielman essay 
and by sort of by fiat about the this Marvel 1000 essay was that they don't want to be overtly political yes. in their books. Yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's the whole... I mean, that's what Marvel was. Right. Yep. But, it's being political. These, okay. The, I, the, I can see how they would argue that the Spiegelman one was quite political. But, like, the Wade one was super was, generic. I know. So it's just, it's just being like, yeah. like, let's have opportunity for everyone and stand up for that. Like, you have to really think badly of yourself and your own side to be like, huh, opportunities for everyone? They they, <laughs> they must be attacking us. Well, if they're talking about opportunities, yes. they must yeah. be attacking us. Well, there, you know, I've, unfortunately I've heard people say that exact same thing, Kate. Yeah. So, you know, uh, you know, I'm told, I'm told, hold on, let me see if I can find, uh, so my little secret, uh, so I'm told that Marvel's, uh, reason for changing it was that, uh, they thought that it would better fit the tone of the overall book <laughs> in the, because it was a celebration. <laughs> and, it's, it's um, just kind of crazy. Yeah. Well, it's, I would say, like, again, like I said about the Spiegelman thing, like, don't, don't rip its heart out and turn it into a zombie. If you don't like this submission because you don't feel it fits the tone of your publication. Yeah. Then ask for a different so, submission. So, you know, so, uh, so there was a third thing, Kate. That was the rewriting oh, of history. Yeah. Yes. Uh, that was, that was the Vietnam War and several other wars and possibly some chunks of World War II, but probably not because that's the only non-controversial war. But yeah, every other war in history, modern history is going to be re- uh, yeah. replaced by the Sian Kong War, which lasted 15 years. So well, therefore, everyone who's a veteran can be a veteran of this imaginary war that nobody ever really died in. Right. Well, the, okay. So this, they had a more overt, and I have to say, as a, you know, former comic book editor, uh, to me, it is somewhat plausible. The reasoning behind this was that, you know, the Punisher is a Vietnam vet. So that means he would be 70, 75 yeah, years old. That's and they don't want the Punisher to be 70, 75 years old. Frank Castle is perpetually 39 years old. Let's face it. So, well, or 45, or to be 45. more honest. Yes, yes. Grizzled. He's a bit grizzled, you know, war torn. Um, but you know, he can still heal. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so I kind of understand that, but it's still incredibly dumb and awkward. I uh, did, I think so too. And I think it's a small price to pay to adjust the, the a character's background in the later editions or uh, yeah. for a new generation. So yeah. what would you then to come up with well, a they, so fake how, war? So but how they would do it you? all the time. They yes, do it all the time. Exactly. They've done it. They've done they it in Marvel generation it. after generation. People's backstories shift from Korea to Vietnam to Saudi Arabia, to Afghanistan, sure. to the CIA doing to, random to, crap to, to the somewhere. Gulf War number one, to the Gulf sure. War number two. I mean, to part Afghanistan. of what, what part of what the continuity issue, continuity issue was was that they wanted to have a war that would constantly remain roughly fifteen years in yes. the past. Yeah, it wasn't that it lasted fifteen years. It happened. Yeah, it 15 happened fifteen years, years in the past, and they yeah. wanted something that would be a constant. Yeah. So, that, but at the end of the day, it's still going to be bizarre. I mean, everyone knows. That these are fictional characters, even though we love them. Right. Uh, we can all does handle. Does everyone know that? <laughs> well, you know, maybe some of us don't. I, I just, I mean, I, I think it's a bad idea, but I also think that while there may be some continuity motivations, it really does bother me yeah. that they're doing this now. I agree. They're doing this now. They're wiping out everything after World War II and pasting this on. It, it just has 
the aura, given the timing of of them overtly making these other moves to be apolitical. I agree. It has this being the foundation of their argument, and therefore we can't mention anything that's happening in the real world at all. I mean, maybe, and that, they, should, maybe they should move the Marvel Universe out of New York City. I mean, no other comic book company does that. Everybody yeah, has made up true. names. No, no, well, so why should we do that? Let's, well, let's make it completely consistent and easy to be have continuity. Just, just get rid of this New York and call it, you know, Mammoth City, USA. Well, I mean, what DC has done is have both. They they have have their cake and eat it too. They They have, they have, well, they have both. They have Batman lives in Gotham, Mm -hmm. but there is a New York City, which is a separate different city. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so if they want characters. Harley Quinn even lives in Coney Island now. Right. So. Right. Because, you know, Gotham's in New Jersey. Well, (laughs) we have, we have Gotham instead of Newark. Well, so, you you know, listen, um, obviously these people never read a comic from the 70s that anyone at Marvel wrote because it was as commie, pinko, liberal as possibly could be, anti-corporation. You know, Howard the Duck ran for president, um, you know, as, you know, actually, to me, the story still holds up, but, you know, the kidney lady and Dr. Bong and all that, but, um, you know, I mean, Marvel, certainly in the 70s and the 80s and also the 90s and yes. also the aughts was totally had all this political stuff. You know, the Winter Soldier, which is the brilliant reimagining of Bucky by Ed Brubaker and Steve Aptig, was in the wake of the Iraq War yeah. and had all these allusions to it. So, uh, also, uh, hello, Civil War, yeah. one of their best-selling books of all times, was overtly a a, a uh, allegory about sure. the Iraq War, a- the Second Iraq War. Uh, it was it was about a bunch of different political things. That among them, right, right. But it was, I mean, that's part of what made its continuity so messy. Is that everyone had to come up with some way for their political and or philosophical beliefs to be. The right ones. Right. And the other characters to be the bad ones. And, you know, listen, when they did it as the movie version of it, they did create a fake country and they created a fake disaster. Yeah. And and I mean, that was appropriate. Yeah. I I mean, and Marvel has some fake countries. Wakanda's not on the map. That's true. But just to... Latveria. Latveria. You know, like it's fine to come up with fake countries and fake wars too, but to say we're going to... To not use the real history not, right, anymore. Yes. To say they're not going to use real history is completely bogus. It yeah, is totally bogus. Completely flippant yeah. bogus. And I, I just, I feel like it's the back door to being like, oh, well, we can't talk about anything real world so here. So something strange is going on here. And I mean, I think we figured out what it is actually just by talking about it. Perlmutter. But, uh, Perlmutter. Yeah, Perlmutter. But, uh, you know, the, but, uh, and, and, you know, the, the, the question that I've brought up many times is how long will Ike reign at Marvel? Because there's so many of these other things that, um, uh, I mean, why would he wait till now to do this? Well, I mean, because he's been Trump in power is running for a while. Because Trump is being yeah. running for re-election. Yeah, so. And, yeah. and furthermore. I, mean, I won't dispute that. Uh, it's just like. And he needs why every is vote this he can happening? get. Well, I mean, one, maybe he read something in a Marvel comic that annoyed him. And he was like, I've had it with this. This has been going on too long. Ah. <laughs> I don't know. Or, you know, I mean... I mean, for most of us, the politics are what grabbed us in Marvel Comics. I mean, this is Stan Lee incarnate, is like talking about the issues of the day. Mm-hmm, that's true. Jack Kirby as yeah, well. Yeah, that's of them course. I mean, even if it's not the politics qua politics, part of what makes Marvel Marvel is a willingness to 
grapple with and think about real world issues. Yep. And to just be like, oh, we don't want that anymore is to neuter Marvel. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think you, you hit on the, the exact right term. Um, and I, I don't think this will last, but it's stupid. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it might last till November 2020. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I almost well, wonder. A lot of things will end in, tw- in I November almost wonder- 2020. We'll find out. Mm-hmm. I almost wonder if maybe someone read one of these intros or something, someone politically sympathetic to Perlmutter and was like, holy crap, Ike, do you know what they're publishing in this thing from Marvel? I, I don't think it's even that much. I think it's probably Perlmutter has been very involved with publishing in the past, and he probably is quite aware of the fact that a lot of the writers and yeah, yeah, staffers are very liberal, and he probably, you know, just, I mean, I'm just 100% guessing. Just guess yeah. it's speculation, you know, folks. It's just speculating. But it just seems to me that he would be like, oh, yeah, my my comics are on board, you know? Like, we're not going to do anything that's too political. So, you know, no more politics in the comics. I mean, that would sound reasonable to me. That's something that he would do. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, anyway, but, you know, Marvel's got Marvel corporate Marvel. Marvel yes, We got more, more Marvel talk yeah, to come here. Marvel this is all week. Marvel So, today. you know, I'm sure nobody really cares about, you know, the little things like, uh, you know, politics being banished uh, from Marvel Comics because of the big horrible thing. It's the worst possible heartbreak, nothing, you know, rending of garments, tearing of hair, casting upon the ground, <laughs> uh, the big divorce, and finally... It turns out that Sony, which owns the rights to Spider-Man and all the Spider-Man characters, and Disney, which had they had been peacefully coexisting yeah. and putting Spider-Man in Marvel movies. And With putting, the same actor. And putting Marvel characters in Spider-Man movies. And the movies got even better. And they got better and better. And I mean, better. No more. Uh, Spidey custody battle. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's not even a custody battle. So, I mean, well, like, so Sony won. Yeah. Sony won well, the custody well, battle. Apparently, well, apparently, um, the, the, the parent doesn't even have visiting rights anymore. Well, here's, <laughs> you know, here's the deal. You know, Boris Kitt at Hollywood Reporter wrote a really great story. Uh, I, he's always my go-to, uh, him and Kim Masters, uh, my go-to entertainment writers, reporters. But um, it seems that uh, when the deal was originally done, uh, back before Civil War, as a matter of fact, which is where Tom Holland as Spider-Man made his debut in cinematic debut, yep. um, in the airport scene, uh, air, air, airport yeah, battle, yeah, airport mm-hmm. battle, yes, that, um, you know, the last iteration of Spider-Man at Sony staring Andrew Garfield had kind of become a clunker very yeah. quickly, very quickly become, uh, something that wasn't working. So, uh, I, you know, who said it first, who knows, but somehow Sony and Kevin Feige of Marvel Studios came together and they said, Hey, how about this? How about if we get to use Spider-Man and in return, we'll just get production credit and, uh, everyone will make money. So they said that this movie, this, this deal was so flimsy. I mean, it really was little more than a handshake deal and there wasn't a lot of, like, I think, uh, uh, Disney was getting some distribution money out of it, but not a lot okay mm. so for that they got civil war then we got spider-man homecoming which everyone loved you get some like five percent yeah something like that money. and then they got money for the movies that were about spider-man yeah. yeah yeah but then they would get to use spider-man in all of their yeah, own they films got and keep iron all the money. man iron you know like tony stark was in uh homecoming which is one of the key parts of the movie yeah. and who can forget in um in uh, infinity yeah. war 
you know, Mr. Stark, I don't feel so good. The, the you know, most heart-rending moment of all Marvel movies. Oh, yeah. I mean, without Spider-Man, I just un- unimaginable. But, and he kind of gave the yes, franchise to Spidey. Yeah. So then, so it's so just, then Disney. So you know, a lot of people are like, oh, you know, screw Sony. How could they do this? And I'm like, you think Sony? I mean, come on, you're talking about Disney here. So Disney wanted fifty percent. Disney wanted fifty percent of the money. And like Sony is a little bit embattled now. They've had all the, you know, Spider-Man is their number one film, and they felt that giving up fifty percent of their number one franchise, even if they had maybe not done this well without Kevin Feige, was too much to ask. And also, I'm sure I'm waving my hands around now, guys, because I got so excited. <laughs> I'm sure they were emboldened by the success, the freak success of Venom. A Spider-Verse well, yeah. movie, as well as Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Yeah. One of the well, I don't think, I don't think those were freak successes. I think those were well-made movies. Yeah, and I've Venom heard that he had some Venom uncredited was what it impact was. on Spider-Verse, because it's been... On one hand, I've been hearing that oh, they did Spider-Verse by themselves, and they didn't need Disney. But I heard that Fahey may have had some impact on that movie that he was not credited for. Uh, I haven't investigated that part of the equation, but I do know that uh, internally at certain parts of Marvel slash Disney, the Spider-Verse movie was poo-pooed because they did not think that they would succeed at making this film. Well, and they well, did they succeed. Did. They and they did. in grand fashion, They succeeded actually. in what, one of the greatest animated yeah, and the greatest superhero films it, of all uh, time. It's pure entertainment. Uh, so, so, so yeah. uh, anyway, just to... They did get that right. Just to finish the heartbreaking narrative. So, anyway, Disney comes to Sony, says 50%. Sony says, no freaking way. And they start talking and negotiating. And, you know, apparently negotiations had broken down a long time ago and they've been carrying around this horrible secret all this time and now it's out there for everybody to know and maybe somebody cleverly did it just before D23 which we'll get to in the next moment which is the big uh, Disney uh, you know Comic Con of Disney Disney Expo or something it's like like San Diego Comic Con except it's all Disney Yeah. (laughs) and um, you know anyway this news broke and boy it was just heartache I mean even Jeremy Renner who plays Hawkeye tweeted please Sony let us have Spider-Man back now I have to admit I'm I'm hoping this is what giant corporations do would have nothing better to do other time which is like scare everybody that they will They're come to together at some point. Right. The brinkmanship to get a better deal. I can't believe. I mean, there's so much money to be made with Spidey in the MCU. Right. For both companies. I can't see that this is going to stand. But, you know, corporations have done even more stupid things. They so. have. And, you know, the, uh, Tom Holland, bless his heart, uh, was at D23 and um, to promote a... Uh, a ironically his voice in an animated oh, film right. along with Chris Pratt and uh you know but he did say something like you know sometimes sad things happen but I love you 3000 I I mean there wasn't a dry oh, yeah. eye in the house yeah. I guarantee there was well, just you know well it's just, just another measure how much these franchises these characters these stories and plots how much they 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 they, they seep into our very being um you know I've been crazy about this ridiculous character since you know, I was like about 12 and it just, it, it, it just pains me to see that these two companies can't come up with something that really think to give the fans what we but, want. Well, you know, I, I, a lot of this also goes back, as I always say, you know, deep magic before the dawn of time, 
Um, back to the 80s when comic book properties were not considered very valuable yeah. and whoever yeah. it was went to Sony and sold them the rights to Spider-Man in perpetuity. They would never, the rights would never revert as long as they keep making Spider-Man movies. Yeah. And, you know, boy, was that a bad deal. But yep. of course, who knew? Who knew at that point that yeah. Disney would buy Marvel? Yeah. Who knew that the MCU would become the most successful franchise Wasn't that when Marvel time? was in bankruptcy or something? Wasn't it needed that the money. It predates. It, it probably predates that. I'm just saying, uh-huh. there was a lot of very bad, there was yeah. a lot of very bad deals. And there was a lot of time when Marvel decision. needed the money. Yes, that's yeah. true as well. Yes, yeah. true as well. Anyway, uh, more to come on this. Yeah, yeah. well, we I, hope, I don't think we've heard let's the last hope, word you know, on let's this hope that ridiculous this, thing. this battle is not the end, yeah. you know, that this is just, you know, yeah, Secret these, Wars 1. Well, let's hope we got Secret yeah, Wars and 2 and 3 coming because, uh, you know, no Spider-Man, no Tom Holland in the MCU is just... It's uh, ridiculous. It's heartbreaking. Uh, well, you know, there's a lot of other things that went on at D23. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I really, you know, Disney is just, you know, owning the world and it's really upsetting with Fox because yeah. they're not allowing theaters to show Fox movies anymore. They're taking all the Fox movies into uh, oh, the you know storage the way they do with all the Disney Pixar, movies. Marvel, yeah. Star Wars, there Fox, was there was the Disney Simpsons, Plus. the Simpsons. Simpsons. There was the Simpsons, uh, which just blows my mind. They had a it, it, uh, Avatar like land or whatever. Um, you know the big <laughs> news uh, there though is they, they a lot more about Disney Plus, a lot more about the shows. Uh, that there's going to be a Ms. Marvel show, yeah, Disney some, Plus, yeah, yeah. along with I'm Moon Knight kind of, and kind of, She-Hulk. I'm kind of excited and, about Ms. Marvel because eh? it's and, live action, right? Yeah. yeah. That's kind of cool. Also, I thought it was Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. Well, yeah. well, that is an animated show. Yeah. And that is being yes. done by Marvel Studios for uh, the Disney Channel. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, well, and the trailer for The Mandalorian has come out. Yes. And Pedro Pascal in a Star Wars live action show. Yes. Yes. And, yes. Um, I'm you on know, board. And Werner Herzog. Yeah, so, I was I was stunned. It was really Herzog is this is the Mandalorian? Oh yeah, he's in it. He's in it. Did you did you read the hilarious interview with Werner Herzog? I did not. Now he's directing it? No, he's in it. Oh, he's, he's in, in it. it. He plays the grizzled old bad guy. <laughs> well, that's yeah. even or morally ambiguous amazing. character. For a minute I thought he was directing it, well, which I said, Whoa, well, that would be what cool a too. movie that would no, be. <laughs> but yeah, but it would never get made and it would lose lots of money. It would lose lots of money. But you know what? Film classes would study it for generations. Yeah. Um <laughs> but he uh apparent was really funny is apparently he's super on board and really impressed with the script because I don't he's basically he admits he like doesn't watch Star Wars but like he's convinced that this is like a darker and grittier universe than usual <laughs> and it's just like you, but what all he's naming is just like typical Star Wars background yes there are like bad people backstabbing each other and like like uh nature is dangerous and um bounty hunters kill people and stuff um but i can get how like it's kind of hilarious and awesome to me that werner herzog werner herzog would but i I can believe it in like a almost this is almost werner herzog fan fiction that 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 he (laughs) that he would like be like totally into the star wars show that he's on and be like it's so dark and speaks of human nature um it's so german which i mean if you if you've ever seen grizzly man his um unintentionally hilarious documentary about a man who gets eaten by a bear and his feelings about how this explores this the the, the soul of nature and and deep that, truths oh, about so the universe good. i've seen the, a geary so good. Guard, though. uh, uh it's, it's just like 
it's just like perfectly rehearsed. It is. I mean, like, I'm looking forward to the show for like five different reasons. Yeah, you know, speaking of Star Wars, they also um, dropped uh, a, uh, you know, the Rise of Skywalker teaser and like featuring a dark ray. Of course, it's a dream or a hoax or imaginary story. It's a dream, a hoax, an imaginary story or something that that happens for like five minutes while she's tempted. Or a clone. Or a clone. Or, I mean, like, but yeah, there were like two seconds, like, well, no, th- 30 seconds in, um, Return of the Jedi where, like, Luke gets really angry, people. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not, I'm just not that worried about that aspect. I know. But... I mean, looking at the trailer, I have no idea where this movie is going and whether I'll like it or not, but that's okay. But that's it, what you I can't did, tell from trailers. You know sometimes. what? I think it did pique my interest for sure. I am definitely down with this. I'm, 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 Pretty intrigued. I, I am here. Here I will show how much of a geek I will. I am. <laughs> the thing that I got from it was other than ooh, pretty Maximum was geek. ha ha. I knew they'd give Ray a double ended lightsaber <laughs> when I saw her with that staff. <laughs> I knew it from the beginning. <laughs> ha ha. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know they also announced Avengers Lands coming to all the Disney and you know, Mary Poppins and. I mean, it was pretty, listen, I said this before, but, you know, know, Disney uh, owns our souls, but with Disney (laughs) Plus, they're taking out a second mortgage, man. I mean, it's crazy. Uh, Well, they also mentioned, what, the Black Panther 2 uh, scheduling. I guess it was already out there, I suppose. No, they announced that it was what it was coming out. Okay, so it's coming out in 2022. 2022, yeah. Uh, Black Widow in 20, in uh, 2020. Yeah. very cool. And uh and uh Kit Harrington will join the cast of The Eternals and be reunited oh, with his right, brother Richard right. Madden. So, you know, John Stark and uh who's that Stark who died? I forget his name. John Snow. John Snow and Rob Stark. Rob Stark. There we go. All right. It's better, you know, we've just wiped Graham Thrones completely out of our minds. <laughs> so, you know, this wasn't on our story list, but have you guys seen that Joker trailer? No, I haven't oh. seen it. I've, been re- I've read some things about it, but I haven't seen it yet. Is it Did good? Did you see it, Kate? I have Joker issues. Namely, I just don't like him. So you did not watch I couldn't be bothered. Uh, wow. It's Joker. I was just like, I don't like the Joker. I'm not going to watch a Joker movie. So, you know. he's not that interesting Well, to me. I'll tell you this. If you were, if I were to torture you, Kate, there's two things I would do. It was, I would sing, because you hate that. And then I would force you to watch this Joker trailer, because it's on Beyond uh, it's like a mix of the uh, King of Comedy and Mean Streets and also every bad clown movie in the trailer. They actually have... Is show, that a good thing? It's, well, it's a very... says it's a gritty take on the character yeah. because, you know, we need a gritty take on the Joker. That doesn't even make any and, sense. There's no grittier take uh, than the, than the uh, one... Right, yeah. <laughs> uh, there are a lot of gritty takes on the Joker. The most, recent. most takes on the Joker are gritty. Uh, <laughs> He's the Joker. But the Did you get the memo? But remember, we live in a post, what's it, Heath Ledger universe yeah. for the Joker who kind of changed everything for right. that character and his, at least uh, in the movies anyway. Well, there, so were, there were some pretty damn dark, dark Jokers in there were some dark the comics uh, for hey, a very hello, long time. Hello, excuse me. I think that Frank long Miller Halloween. and Alan Moore also changed the Joker quite a bit. They, yeah, yeah, they, they were the ones absolutely. who did it. Yeah. I mean, that, yes, but Ledger's performance, it really is... What what drives that movie completely? Well, yeah, I'm yeah, curious no one's to arguing. see how because um, I, I haven't seen this trailer, but we I do want to take a break and watch it and come back because you guys got to see this. And we're back after watching that trailer. Kate, uh, well, I I said what I said to them as we were coming back was uh, I'm calling it right now. 
It's going to be a cult classic. <laughs> and people are going to watch it as a midnight movie and just glory in it and throw popcorn. I uh, agree. I think... Um, and, you know, what's interesting about the movie is that they think it's really awesome and that they're introducing it at the Venice Film Festival and then they're uh, at the Toronto Film Festival. So it's getting a film festival. Well, I, I think they think it's arty. Yes, they think it is arty. Maybe it will be arty. And maybe it will be arty. Yes. I'm not saying it won't but be. But it just, I mean, to me, it was just like warmed the whole, that whole thing is like, you know, I've seen a Martin Scorsese movie and I've seen The Dark Knight and I don't need to get peanut butter in my chocolate. <laughs> well, I mean, I think it's less peanut butter in your chocolate and more putting random vegetables in the blender. Um, so, you know, if, if you really want a, uh, a carrot and mushroom smoothie, then, you know, there you go, man. Yeah, that's yeah. one big carrot. What do you think, Kelvin? <sighs> yeah, I, I won't say that I was impressed with that trailer because I, um, I'm, I wasn't, um, you know, it's creative. I, I, I probably, yeah, yeah. Uh, seeing De Niro was actually sort of startling. Um, uh, we'll see. I, yeah, I'm not going to say that. I, I will agree that I, I wasn't blown away by the trailer, but I, I'm interested, I am interested in the character. Yeah. And how he evolves. So I'll probably go yeah. and see it. It's well, got a very good cast. So yeah, I'll yeah, 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 what, right. I, what I'm not saying is yeah. that this is a movie that's made without care or without thought. What I am saying is that it looks like it will be cheesy in a way a lot of people will enjoy for its cheesiness. Which it, it may, that may not be the case, but from the trailer, that is the impression I'm getting. You know, it depends on sometimes the, the, the power of cheese sometimes depends on whether it is self-aware <laughs> that it knows it is it cheese. No, some, some, but you can get good cheese that knows it's cheese and you can have good cheese that doesn't. For example, <laughs> for example, Hobbs and Shaw knows it is cheese, yeah. glories yeah. in it, yeah. and is delicious cheese. Yes. Oh, yeah, on, delicious on cheese. On the other hand, um, the killer oh. shrews yeah. does not know it is cheese and is also delicious cheese. Yes. I mean, I mean, the problem that I've had with uh, some of the more recent jokers is that, I mean, <laughs> they embrace the demonic side of it, but there isn't any balance, and so they become the, they really do become a cartoon of evil. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, the 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 performance that I keep referring to, I mean, was such a perfect balance of, 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 of demonic, maniacal behavior and hilarity. Uh, With an undercurrent of pathos. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, yes. yes, as it was. Absolutely was. And it, but it, it was also, every time he's on the screen. Yeah, but I, I mean, also, you know, The Dark Knight, when it came out, it was a huge box office hit. It was also just a movie that, uh, you know, young men went and saw this movie over and over and over and over again, as they did with Fight Club. And, you know, I kind of was a little bit like, eh, I mean, I'm not that much into DC characters, as you know, or I'm not that much into Batman. But, you know, a few years ago or recently, I rewatched it and, uh, you know, fresh eyes. And I mean, absolutely. You know, this is a really powerful film. Like, <laughs> regardless of super, the superhero. The, the, the writing for the Joker in that movie is superb. It is. But I mean, you know, Nolan had a vision for it. I mean, yeah. he, because you are, you know, it's also the, um, allure of breaking norms and, you know, being rebellious and, you know, embracing chaos, which, uh, you and, know, like it's not it, just chaos, but nihilism. Mm -hmm, right. That that like everything's terrible, so nothing matters. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So I mean, it, it's aware of the allure of this, this you know, philosophy and the terrible dangers of this philosophy. But yeah. um, but it is just a trailer, so you know, the, the the film may have a much more expansive performance. Yes, but mm -hmm. you know, if it if you had a Joker trailer, 
didn't have sun in the clouds, I'd be very <laughs> Well, hey, I'm, go. I'm a little alarmed that it may go too far, may end up in the Maleficent direction, <laughs> where they're like, let's have this movie giving the sympathetic origin story of a baddie. Wait, it's so sympathetic, we can't bring ourselves to have them actually do anything actually really bad. And so if you have, like, the cuddly Joker movie, I'm just... Well, I am going to laugh. I'm going to laugh. <laughs> well, what I'm going to do. The Joker opens on October 4th. Yeah, right. So we shall find out. Maybe it will be not cuddly at all. Yeah. Um, so a uh, couple of other, you know, a lot of people are on uh, summer hiatus, but a couple of other things happened this week. Uh, you know, the Hugo Awards were handed out. And um, what a lot of people noticed was that the um, Archive of Our Own won the Hugo Award. Was it for Best... Um, best Fan Work. Best Fan Work. And, uh, you know, that's pretty significant, right? So, listeners, if you are not one of the over a million users on Archive of Our Own, um, it is the premier fan fiction site on the Internet. It is run by the Organization for Transformational Works, otherwise jokingly known as the Fan Fiction Legal Defense Fund, <laughs> uh, which was funded specifically in order to keep this archive alive. They, the uh, uh, Naomi Novik, Francesca Coppa, uh, a number of lawyers, and a whole lot of other fans got together and were like, look, fan fiction keeps getting taken down on the internet for spurious legal reasons, usually because a site is worried about losing their advertisers. And also, at the same time, various different startups run by tech bros who don't get it want to make money on us. Why don't we just start our own goddamn site? And they did. And it's enormous. And it is entirely run by fan volunteers. And it has, like, over a million users. And... Millions of stories and is in many, many, many languages and, and beloved around the world. Yeah, and it's, it's, uh, scrupulously indexed. I mean, you can find whatever you want. The tagging there. system is amazing. <laughs> ah. The search has like a built in ability to screen out anything you want. It is one of the most popular sites on the entire internet. It is. And that's, um, you know, it's a, it's a really, there was a really great essay on, uh, women write about comics about the difference in transformative fandom and, you know, performative yeah. fandom. And, um, you know, that's kind of the central battle of our time sometimes. But, yeah, this um, is but, uh, but, 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 yeah, and a flag for yeah, transformative but fandom. I, but our cover of our own is really, you know, uh, a super, I think, super healthy. It is. Uh, a, you know, example of this because it's not like saying, you know, there is only one way. It's saying there's a lot of different ways. Right. And I mean, to the point where some of the problems the archive has run into, uh, has happened exactly because they are so devoted to the idea that there are a lot of different ways. For example, their tagging system occasionally gets unwieldy and breaks down because they allow users to tag things any way they want. And when you've got millions of users, that adds up to an awful lot of tags. Right. Um, so that, that does stress the servers. Right, yeah, that definitely puts some... Uh, uh, but, you know, they, they put their money and their volunteer time where their mouth is, and... You can still tag your story any way you want. Yeah. Well, it was very nice of the Hugo Awards, uh, which are the, you know, premier awards in science fiction. Uh, and, you know, something that had been infiltrated by the, was it the sad puppies? I always forget what I The sad puppies the, and then later the rabbit puppies. Rabbit puppies, and, you know. The sad puppies were relatively reasonable, if a little pathetic. 
the rabbit puppies were just playing crazy. Vox Day, we're talking about. Yeah, humans. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, the fact that they'd been sort of part of the battleground of, uh, you know, our culture wars, uh, shows that it's kind of nice. Um, you know, they did another thing actually, uh, which was, uh, the John Campbell Award for Best Newcomer. This is another science fiction award. Uh, this was, I, I noticed that there'd been a lot of pushback against calling it the John Campbell Award because he was a great editor, but he was also, you know, kind of a fascist with a lot of really, um, you know, discriminatory beliefs. So, uh, they did say they would, they would change the name of that particular award. And, um, there was a really nice statement actually that came up yeah. on the governing board of that. And it, I do think some people are placing the blame in the wrong place. A lot of people are complaining that this year, like the last few years, there was a majority of the winners were women. Mm-hmm. Um, not that there weren't plenty of men. But more women than men. Oh, horrors. <laughs> and so, you know, some people are complaining, well, this is discrimination too. And why are you happy that like not many men got awards? And, oh, and it's please. like, do you think this might not possibly be a reaction to those obnoxious twerps who tried to game the awards? Because if you've got a lot of guys whining that they feel that science fiction should and the awards should only belong to white men, you shouldn't be surprised if your voting block like tips in a direction that a little bit despite them. Like, you know, you, it's natural. But you know what's But nat- those books were also very deserving. You know, very yeah. good. Slate. You know what's also natural? Women are really good at writing science fiction. Yes. Yeah. From it- Mary Shelley and Back in Time and, you know, Christine de Bazan. It's like they've always been great at writing science fiction. So, you know, yeah. get a life. Yeah. I mean, come on. Give I me mean, a break. This is just, uh, uh, yeah, maybe it's some reaction, but I also think it's just like a flowering of stuff here. Yeah, that, yeah there's a flowering yeah, of stuff. You know, of great writing. And, yeah, and, stuff yeah. is flowered. And I mean, we, see it, we can see it across <laughs> the board and across various mediums. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, as... Women writers of all kinds. Are, right. Are, you know, we see it. We yeah. see this every day. I mean, I think, I think that whatever prejudices that editors in the science fiction field may have had against writers op- who are women openly writing as women has pretty much broken down as far as publishing goes. And so the barriers to entry are much lower. So therefore, more women who want to write science fiction and are good at it get published so you know and that's really the one good thing about the the uh, social media hellscape that we live in right now is that it has given everyone a voice and, yeah absolutely. you know it's giving good people a voice you know unfortunately it's also given all the yeah, real jerks yeah. a voice as well but you that's know that's how voices work hopefully and- we can just you know create a more open society yeah and where... it's, it's also given you know um a certain section of the society that kind of presumed its importance all the time uh, they've got for the first time they've got to deal with uh you know communities that maybe didn't have a voice before, but boy they've got one now and they're putting it to use and so we're gonna have to negotiate how that how well, that voice the impact of that the, voice. But sim- it ain't going away. Well, I mean the simple answer is more books. Yeah. Right? You Absolutely. know, you can still it's not a zero sum game. You exactly. all you white male writers can continue <laughs> to write science fiction and they will con- if they are good, they will continue to be read. And everybody else can write science fiction too. And if they are good, they will be read. And there will be more books for us, the fans. And that—that that is always it, the best answer. It's, it's, yep. have, you, have you heard? <laughs> have you heard the more cake theory? This yeah, may be exactly. This may be a a fanish thing, strictly fanish thing. I don't know. But if if 
If it is, then it definitely the rest of the world would benefit from it. The idea is you should not feel worried if someone brings a cake that is prettier than your cake to the party or that is slightly more popular than your cake to the party. Most people there will just go, oh, more cake, that two is, cakes, that, and eat I've both. seen that happen, to be <laughs> honest. I've and seen you know what? Happen. It works for me. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, well, look, let's see. Um, I, I, so, I, Calvin, you had a couple stories. I, I, I've, I've got a couple of stories about the same guy. Um, uh-huh. uh, if you go to, uh, publishersweekly.com slash comics, we're gonna, we've got up two stories about the fabulous Chris Ware, um, preeminent, one of the preeminent graphic novel artists of our time. His new book, Rusty Brown, comes out, uh, in, um, September, I believe. Um, uh, Luisa Ermolino, who writes, the open book column uh, for Publishers Weekly, which is a comment that kind of goes into a deep background on various artists. She's uh, spent some time with, talking with Chris, uh, talking about uh, his editor, uh, Chip Kidd, his agent, Nicole uh, 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 Haraji. Um, uh, but when she put together this story, she also conducted an email interview with Chris Ware where he talks about his his working um, uh, process, um, how he started Rusty Brown, his newest book, other aspects. It really is a deep dive. You really get a sense of Chris Ware uh, and his voice, uh, which is engaging and uh, and sh- maybe overly self-effacing. Yes, you <laughs> uh, just kind of, can't get over that. You know, it's um, getting old. But, but you know what? He, he's certainly one of the easiest superstar artists to talk to that you'll ever encounter. But he talks very detailed in a very uh, accessible and genial manager about his his uh, his working process, his art, and his thoughts about writing the book. So go to publishersweekly.com uh, slash comics, and you'll see A Daily Life of Chris Ware's Rusty Brown by Louisa. And Chris Ware talks about Rusty Brown, a Q&A where he goes into detail. Rusty Brown. All right. Well, and I guess we kind of ran I, out of things I to guess, talk about. Well, you know, we've <laughs> gone from pathos to Chris Ware, and you know, there is nothing to talk about after Chris. We Ware. wanted to stop with an uplifting. I know, moment, right? So. Yeah, absolutely. But well, there's always going to be more to come. <laughs>